Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement, it's part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. To paraphrase biomechanist Dr. Stuart McGill, many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you the chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout during your commute, workout, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60-plus minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH. FitLab PGH highlights people, locally-owned businesses, and events in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that understand that movement, it's part of what makes your life complete. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody that you think we should interview? Then drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com or connect with us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, both at underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome to the second part of Moving to Live's interview with Dr. Brian Garrity. In the first part, which we posted two weeks ago, we got to find out how he got to be the head of sport coaching at Denver University, starting way back at John Carroll University. I think it was an interesting path, and as I talked to him before we started recording, I told him it was an atypical path and something that people who are involved in the movement field need to become aware of because... Literally, if you decide to pursue a terminal degree or a master's degree, you can set your own path if you have the imagination and you use that imagination to figure out where you can go. Sometimes it takes you places you didn't intend. What we're going to do in our second part of the interview with Dr. Garrity is many people out there maybe are not in the field of sport coaching, but they may either on the periphery or in a major way, be involved with sport coaching. Maybe they're involved with their child's uh, sports teams or they have a child who is a high-level athlete and they're not exactly sure what are some uh, pitfalls that they should be looking out for. And Brian has some expertise in that. As I mentioned in the first interview, I wanted to interview him simply because he did have the sports sociology and psychology background, which in the movement field I think is vastly underrated and underutilized. And then from seeing on Facebook, I thought at the second part of the interview he would be excellent because he's got a, a boy who is a very, very good gymnast. So not only can he talk as the quote-unquote expert, but he can also talk as the parent. So Brian, thanks for joining us for part two of the interview. Uh, thanks for having me back again, Ben. Yeah, that'd be good. I have two other kids too. So I've got three kids, Lorelai, Liam, and Lincoln. So that way, you know, 10 years from now when they listen to the podcast, I can at least acknowledge that I, I love and care for all three of them, not just the, the freak of an athlete. 
And I can promise you that when we send you the show notes to review, you're going to have to correct our spelling on those. Uh, but, but what I noticed last fall, uh, I knew when I first started the podcast, you were one of the people I wanted to interview because of your sports psychology and sociology background and the fact that you came from a strength coaching background. But uh, your son is a quite successful gymnast. If you can talk a little bit about that, how that feels as a somebody who makes his living educating coaches, if you had concerns when he first started to show signs of being quite talented. So uh, right now, Liam is my son. He's eight years old. And we noticed, and, and again, with my background, we would call it physical giftedness, just like somebody could have, you know, and there's a psychologist, his name's Howard Gardner, but he, he argues that intelligence, intelligence is a multi-factorial uh, construct, you know, that it's a lot of different things. It's about seven. I think he identified seven or eight different types of intelligence, one of them being physical giftedness, uh, others relating to space, math, uh, existential intelligence, kind of like life intelligence. So Liam started to exhibit things at about two, three years old, and he could walk at nine months old, was a few, which is a few months early, but he was always you know, outside playing and doing things and quite coordinated. And then you grow up in my house, my garage for the last you know 10 years has looked like a phys ed locker room. And my wife was a strength coach, and she also has an exercise science degree. Uh, she's a nurse right now, uh, Kayla. There you go. She gets a shout out. She's a wonderful <laughs> mother as well. And, um, you know, you figure, well, I mean, we're eating pretty healthfully. We're outside. We're very active. Uh, you know, we're busy bodies in a way. And Liam at, at three and a half, you know, we were down in Mississippi. He would watch the teenagers jump into the swimming pool. And at three and a half, Liam would get on the side of the pool, do a front flip, and then swim in the pool and float and bob up and down. We got him a pair of goggles and he would float without touching the sides of the pool for several minutes at a time. And and you're like, wow, that's really impressive. Like he doesn't freak out. Um, we don't freak out and he's able to control himself and breathe and uh, explore. He, he's like a kid, you know, in a candy shop, but he's in the water just checking everything out. He, he thinks it's just fascinating. I think. And I'm sure many of the sure. list, many of the listeners want to know, did he get these gifts from you or from your wife? Uh, well, you know, the joke is he got he got the good looks from my wife. Um, but realistically, my wife is very athletic too. I mean, I played right D three football and, and was a lifter. But uh, my wife too was a good athlete in college as well. But I think between the two of that genetic, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably going to say it's genetics and social environment that we put him in an environment as well that he can play, and so. As we were, uh, as I was thinking, writing down some notes, I would encourage folks to look up the notion of play or deliberate play. And you know, nowadays, and we even live in Colorado now, where you know we've got parks and we've got about four parks in our little subdivision. And I think Colorado, somebody told me, has more parks than any uh, per, more parks per capita than any state. So, you know, in some regards, you know, nowadays we're over structuring and overcoaching, especially children, you know, under the age of about 11, they need to be outside. Uh, they need to be in the parks. They need to be in different environments, playing, exploring, uh, not inside, not being in the, all these clubs and teams and travel leagues and, you know, some of these uh, activities that just don't fit with children's physical and cognitive abilities. 
So, uh, so just Liam, so just to yeah, clar- just to clarify for people, the concept before eleven is this similar to the uh, NSCA's long term athletic development and don't let your kids specialize in a sport too early. Very very much so. Yeah. So the so the long term athlete development or LTAD, you know, is again gaining a lot of traction uh, nowadays. It's becoming very pronounced. But I look at it, you know, again as a phys ed major back in the day, twenty years ago, it. In some ways, it's nothing new. It's just almost a reconfirmation of uh, doing the things that folks did many, many years ago when, you know, when physical education was normal and I think cool. Whereas, you know, nowadays, hyper-specialization, profiting and making money off little kids, and that's really what a lot of people are doing. Um, you know, they're trying to set up businesses and they got to, you know, they send out messages and freak out parents and the parents got to sign the kids up for these leagues, not just let them go down the park and play. And that's an unfortunate effect of all this stuff. And so you recognize at a young age that your son was gifted, whether it's genetically or due to the environment or a combination. How did you settle on as as a sport in addition to the playing of gymnastics? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll tell you the one thing, Ben, that that, and this sounds terrible. It's like a humble brag. But but it is. The one thing that we do well, or I think I do pretty well, is to keep myself in check. And... I really like uh, that he's I mean, physically gifted and, and, and he's winning a lot and that's great. But, you know, my other kids, we do the same things with them and they don't win as much and that's fine. Um, I just want to support them and provide the right environment that encourages building resilience, multiple skills, openness and conscientiousness to try new things and to give good effort. Okay. So uh, I wrote down the word, you know, a word in child development, too, would be like authoritative, that, you know, our house is not permissive. You know, the kids don't sit around eating sweets and playing video games all the time. And if we say no, it generally means no, and that's that. Um, so there's some rules, but we're also not authoritarian. I'm not a dictator. We're not so structured, um, but they have boundaries. And I think when coaches talk about, well, the kids need discipline. Hopefully that's what they mean. They, what, what, what kids don't need is discipline, meaning you know to be yelled at and kicked in the butt. That, that's not that's authoritarian. That's too much. That's abuse. So you know, structure rules, but provide the resources. Um, and then we keep we're keeping our values and, and trying to keep ourselves in line, um, and not get so worked up about things because again, they're just kids. They they, they literally are at nine, eight, and five. And Liam being eight, he's just a kid. And how did so, how did your how did did you decide or did your kids decide these are the sports or these are, this is the sport I want to play? Good. Yep. Thanks for getting me on track. Um, <laughs> so it, when they were younger, living down south, we tried everything. We we do um, t ball. We did soccer. You know, swimming, uh, bicycle riding. Uh, like we said, we had all the types of different toys and things to play with in the garage and let him do all that stuff. We go down to the parks quite a bit. When he was about five, our daughter was doing gymnastics and my wife had done gymnastics as a child. I did not, but gymnastics I supported too. And I knew the coaches there. I got to know them and observe them. I thought it was a good environment. And so I supported that. And we put Liam in a rec class, which is at the time, he did about three of these classes, and then we pulled him out. And we pulled him out because he wouldn't sit down. He would not, you know, just be very slow. And that's what a lot of folks do with children. And it's 
quite honestly, don't do that with kids. Like kids need to be active. They need to be busy. They need to be moving. And if you want to sit them down or tell them what to do and make it really slow and controlled, it's almost kind of nonsense. Like you're better off just letting the kids go play in the jungle gym and they'll figure it out. And if they fall and bump themselves, that's okay a little bit. They're, they're going to learn risk. They'll understand what they can and can't do, or you're nearby to protect them in that case. So we pulled him out and we put him back in about a year later. So he trained for about nine months, uh, a couple times a week. You know, was picking things up pretty good. And then we moved to Colorado and he trained again for about nine months, and then he competed last year at level four, which is really the first competitive level for gymnastics. And the highest level is what, level 10 or level 11? Level 10. Level 10. So at the USAG level, USA Gymnastics, uh, one through three is kind of like the rec uh, thing, you know, compulsory. And then four and five is like the trial comp- competitions. And, and then six through 10 is actually more of the elite level. You know, this is now we're getting serious with this stuff. So for people, for people who are not familiar with, uh, gymnastics as a sport, if you were looking at say, mm-hmm. uh, men's gymnastics and NCAA division one, what level would those gymnasts have competed at as far as USGA? One of the coaches told me that USAGA level 10 is basically entry level college. Okay. And so <laughs> if you're, if you're a youngster, if you're, you know, 16, 17, 18, like a high school kind of age range. If you're not getting up to level 10 by then, you're probably not going to be a competitive gymnast in, at the collegiate level. Good background for those of us who don't have a knowledge base for gymnastics. Yeah, and I, did, I didn't. I, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm just conveying a lot of stuff that I've learned along the way and, and talking to folks too. And then, so you're in Colorado and he starts gymnastics the question would question I think would be for, and this would be a hard decision since obviously he had showed some skill. I'm sure you did your due diligence and looked at the coaches. If they hadn't passed the muster based on your expertise, would you have, and you were not able to find coaches who exhibited the qualities that you teach, would you not have allowed him to continue in gymnastics just from a safety? Right. So it's a, it's a great juxtaposition. So we pulled, I pulled our daughter out when she was eight last year. One, because I wanted her to start trying new things. She was good, um, but she's also quite tall. She's in like the 75th, 75th percentile for height. And the kicker was uh, she wasn't having a great time. She wasn't having really just a lot of enjoyment at practice. And then uh, I picked her up one day from practice, and she actually strained a lat, you know, her lat muscle on her back. You know, I know you'll know what I'm talking about, but others might not. And then... Uh, I evaluated her injury, talked to her about it. We set up a meeting with the coach. Well, she was doing a seated hamstring stretch, and the coach was pushing down on her back while pulling on her wrists to kind of right give her a little extra stretch. And the response that I got from the coach uh, for the podcast, I will call it unsatisfactory. And so that was the last day that she ever did gymnastics. And, uh, you know, the other coaches that my son has are different coaches, uh, it's a different process. And I would, again, describe them as authoritative, not authoritarian, and, and certainly not permissive. Um, they run a tight ship, but uh, they are very clear and they're very polite in what they, uh, how they convey information. Uh, but I also think their quality of information, too, is good. So uh, we have 
supported our son to continue to do that the last two years. Uh, and for some context, he's a level, the last two years, he's been a level four and a level five state champion. And so for the seven and eight year olds, the last two years out of about a hundred boys that compete in the state meet, he's been number one. Um, and one of his teammates, I think, finished second last year and fourth, third, or third this year. Uh, so they have a very good squad. Um, the whole uh, program is quite good. And, you know, our son picks things up like physical skills very quickly. So I've also encouraged him along the way to try other things. So last year we did soccer. You know, three years ago we also did t-ball. Last year we also did flag football. So we're, we're hustling. You know, we're moving our kids and shuffling them around town pretty well. But, and and I think it's a it's a great demonstration that somebody who's involved in the education of coaches is not letting an eight year old specialize in one sport. And I think long term that will probably enhance his enjoyment of the sport and probably make him a healthier kid. I hope so. You know, and, and we talk about it and keep tabs of it. And I've seen this coach, you know, send a kid home once from practice because it, you know the kid was tired. He just said, "Yeah, just go home." So I observed that once, and I thought that was an interesting and a good sign. Um, and for us, the thing I don't want to ruin with Liam, he loves to be physically moving. He loves to be active. He loves all sports. So he is an aficionado. You know, he, he loves – if you say, hey, let's go throw the football around, okay. Hey, let's go ride bikes, okay. Let's go play soccer, okay. Hey, you want to play catch, okay. I think I remember so, seeing a video after he won uh, one of his events later in the day. You posted a video for your social media friends of him walking down the stairs on his hands. So yeah. clear, clearly he was not too exhausted from the uh, winning the state championships. So, no, you know, here's a well, can I give you another one real quick? Of course. This is great. So, so we were at the regional championships in Utah. And it was an early meet. And you're, you, they're only busy. They're only active for three minutes. That's how long those events take. So, you know, they're up and they're down, they're warming up, so they're moving, but they're actually eventually last three minutes in length. And we got done at like 12.15, and I looked at him, I said, hey, we can get on the road and we'll go skiing in Vail tomorrow, or we can run up to Park City and go skiing right now, and I'll drive more tonight. He said, of course, let's go skiing now, and then you can drive tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, great, I get to drive in the, you know, these, these windy mountain roads in the middle of the night, but you know, that's what we did. I think two questions that would be of interest to people listening to this who have children who maybe are either starting to get involved in sports or are in sports. And I think you can speak very well of this is first of all, at what age does the, do you, uh, maybe decrease the emphasis on having fun? I mean, it always should be fun, but at some point with some kids, it's like it's very clear, like you've you've identified that your son is physically gifted. You don't know what's going to play out over the next uh, 10 to 12 years. But if, you know, at some point, in addition to being fun, it's going to take other things are going to have to fall by the wayside so that he can maximize his performance if that's what he chooses. So I think the question is, you know, what's a good age where maybe it doesn't have to only – they don't have to finish every practice with a big smile on their face saying, boy, that was fun. Yeah. You know, I, I would even start some of that at, at a pretty young age, uh, you know, six, eight years old now where, you know, there's days they don't want to do things. And then, you know, you very you know, calmly and, and quite frankly, they'll understand it. 
at about eight years old, nine years old, there's days you don't feel like brushing your teeth. But do you value your teeth? Well, yeah. So brush them. So it's it sounds it's it sounds like that if the it's a healthy situation, you almost let the the uh, child decide for himself or herself. I let them decide in, in some reverse too, but we also are like, well, you know, you made the decision to to to, to do this, so you need to own that and you need to fulfill your obligation. Um, you know, our daughter doesn't have the same interest and motivation to play sports all the time. There's days where. You're like, hey, it's time to go to dance. Oh, gosh, do I really have to go to dance? And you're like, yeah, you know, you signed up for this. We paid for it, uh, and we're taking you there. If you don't want to do this later on, that's fine, but that's your decision. But it's normal sometimes, too, to not want to go, but you got to because you decided you want to do it. You know, so, you know, at some level, things are not always going to be fun, and that's how you build through a certain resilience or really another approach would be, you know, you're committing to your values. You know, you said you wanted to do this. Well, that means, you know, you have to show up. It doesn't, you know, and that's a tough line, but that's, that's why I kind of like this stuff is that that can mean I take a Friday. Yeah, I can take a Friday off because I just trained for three months, you know, and I was going three days a week or, you know, gosh, I'm really tired. I've been training 14 hours a week and I'm going to take a day off or I'm going to go to half a practice or I'm, I'm going to, you know, like with Liam, he goes, he goes right now to lacrosse practice Wednesdays and Saturdays. He goes to gymnastics the other four days of the week, and he's off on Sundays. And then lacrosse the, for him is kind of, kind of a break. And then the second question that comes from that that I think many parents would struggle with is how do you identify when it's just a, a child being a child, oh, I don't want to go, versus when there's something more serious going on. Maybe there's a bad situation at the practice that you're not aware of, or maybe there's, you know, there's a serious underlying injury and the coach says, oh, don't worry about it. They're, you know, they, they just need to work through it. And this is something that yeah. you, with your area of expertise, yeah. doesn't make it easy, but you can possibly offer some advice or comments to people who are listening, who have no expertise. Yep. So, you know, it's even little children and adolescents, you know, they're going to get sore at times, but right. And muscle soreness is going to go away after about two or three days and that's okay. You know, if you go out and you have a really busy day or you try something like skiing and you've never skied before, guess what? Even a, even a 10 year old is going to have sore legs and that's okay. But again, you know, the, the concept of, well, we're going to have some hard days, some medium days and some light days. And if they're always going hard and they're always going tough and they're always going, you know, two, three hours, you're probably going to run into a problem. And so if they're developing pain, you know, chronic pain, it doesn't go away or it's an acute pain uh, brought upon by fatigue or some really goofy application of a, a drill or a skill um, that's just not safe, then that's, that's a signal that there's a problem. Um, you know, if somebody is rolling their ankle and developing tendonitis and, and stress fractures, uh, rotator cuff tendonitis, you know, and they're eight, nine, 10 years old, that's an overuse injury or an under conditioning injury. That's a problem. Um, so that kind of stuff is how I'm going to evaluate some of that. You know, is it temporary or is it long term? Um, you know, that's the physical side. Mentally, emotionally, if there's a significant shift in their behavior, if they're of what you described as avoidant, if they're like no, 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 and they're and they're kicking and screaming, you know, profusely, and they're doing it 
at practice, doing it at the game or before, um, you know, that's a sign that there might be more going on or this, they don't have the emotional regulation to uh, really participate and get anything out of it. Um, you know, and then with coaches, you know, if, if they're not letting parents come to practice or they're not explaining certain things that they're doing, um, if you bring things to their attention and they're covering it up or not really saying much, or if they're telling you one thing and the kid's telling you another thing, you know, you, you got to look for signs of abuse or neglect uh, or some type of grooming uh, where they're telling the kid, don't tell your parents these things. You know, that's, that's just, that's a dysfunctional system. And, I, and again, I'm not going to blame a particular coach or parent, but, you know, I'm going to err on the side of caution and, and try to intervene and, and determine more information. And then, uh, you know, a lot of schools, you can refer to a school counselor as well. And, you know, maybe taking the parent and the coach out of it will help you figure out what's going on. But, you know, it's just not worth it. Uh, just like in a, you know, math class, if the math teacher is beating your kid up or, you know, you know, throwing books at them, you know, which doesn't happen because, you know, that's just rare nowadays, but it's just not worth, you know, two plus two isn't worth it. And learning how to kick a ball isn't worth it. So that's when I'm going to intervene for sure. And somebody as a, as a sport coaching background who also is a, a parent, if you were to offer two or three tips, if you've got a parent who it's like, okay, my kid wants to play sports. I have not been an athlete growing up. I have no idea what I should be looking for as far as good traits of a coach. And I, I realize asking you for two or three traits or two or three things to look for is oversimplifying it. But unfortunately, we have a relatively short time for a podcast and not a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I thought, you know, parents nowadays, too, should just get a, a couple books. I mean, you could go buy an old, you know, elementary school physical education book, you know, download the long-term athlete development or another popular framework is teaching games for understanding. You know, just start exploring some of the literature. It's not magic. It's not, you know, the same thing. It's not, you know, even the rocket scientists learned it from reading books or somebody else helped them along the way. And we'll have so links. We'll, we'll have links to all of those in the show notes, so anybody who's listening is able to go to Amazon or your favorite online book place and purchase those books. Yep. So uh, self so self self ed, self yeah. education. You know, take advantage of the information that's out there. Yep. What are What are two other things that you think for parents are going? Geez, I don't know where to start. What am I looking for? At, at a young level, with children, just have them go play. You know, limit the amount of technology, TV, movie, you know, uh, what else you got now? The Xbox or whatever they got. <laughs> Cut that stuff out, you know, limit to them because uh, they can't self-regulate that much. So limit that stuff, you know, spend the time to feed your kids good, healthy food. You got to prepare it. You got to spend some time trying to do that and teach your kids. They'll understand it. You know, my, my kids tell their teachers that the soda they're drinking is bad for them. And the, and the teachers know it and they kind of laugh at me. <laughs> You know, when we have the parent-teacher meeting. Um, so if you can change your home environment, and again, I, I'm mindful of, well, some people have more money than other people, or they live in a certain area where it's easier access to certain things. I mean, I get it. I, I don't have a great solution for social issues sometimes, but change your home environment, get the kids out and let them play, hopefully in a safe environment. You know, if that's the, the parks, the YMCA, you know, partner with a friend. It doesn't have to be in all these competitive leagues. Um, you know, there's some other 
programs nowadays with the local rec clubs as well as pro- uh, private, you know, our for-profit businesses that play multiple sports, um, trying different things, trying things that the kid never expected, but being open to that. You know, some of the best sports or activities like gymnastics, dance, soccer, swimming, um, you know, these are great activities that a lot of people don't do or don't think about doing but they're great for kids because they're full body. They don't require a lot of equipment and you don't need expensive things and a whole lot of people to do it. And this also gets back to what you said earlier in the interview about don't let your kids specialize, you know, when they're eight, nine, 10 years old, give them a variety of movement options. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you we would talk about the research. So there's going to be anomalies, but they're outliers. You know, somebody like a tiger woods who specialized and played a lot of sports early you know, and had a really overbearing parent. Um, and then you've got other folks like everybody's talking about now because the NFL draft was last week that most of those athletes play multiple sports. Well, it's a good question. Did they, are they successful athletes because they play multiple sports or are they playing multiple sports because they're also successful athletes or a combination of both? You know, when you're thinking about causality, but I think the point would be, Again, underlying value is openness and trying new things and then developing skills like resiliency, uh, teamwork, interpersonal skills, and working through your kids to help them communicate to the coach, to communicate and solve problems with their friends, to learn how to be assertive when they need to or come back to the parent. You know, we have those issues too. Um, there's a lot of people and, and a lot of other kids and, you know, there's a lot of different values going on. And so you want to be able to articulate those things. And if, you know, coaches, I think sometimes get a little defensive or they want to say, why don't the worst part is I have to deal with parents. If they're explaining things and getting parents on board and parents know what's going on, then great. Um, you know, if they're having to defend it or put up with like playing time issues or stuff like that, that's a different issue. But parents should be comfortable kind of talking to their coach about, you know, their, their child's development and well-being. And that's another set of eyes that spends a lot of time with your kid. And that brings me to the final question I want to ask before I let you go. As you mentioned, not all communities are wealthy and, and not everybody is going to be able to hire full-time coaches. In many cases, yeah. the parents uh, – say the semi-jokingly get dragged into coaching because they have free time or they have the availability for somebody who does that uh you know what are two or three pieces of advice if all of a sudden you know you're a parent you get drafted into coaching your daughter's softball team and it's like i have no background in coaching i don't know what to do and i can't go to denver university and get a degree in coaching well, they could. Uh, they, actually, they could. It's online, but they're they they uh, they're they're socioeconomically right now. They can't quite yep. afford it. Well, hopefully, hopefully down the road, honest to goodness, hopefully we start offering, you know, different certificates and and some free programs too that everybody can do. And there are some organizations that offer programs, uh, and and they've got books and free resources, and and I'm happy to provide some of those. We'll put those in the show notes, and. uh uh, but, I mean, if you're working with children or adolescents, you know, I'm thinking, one, have fun. You know, uh, you don't, I, don't, I don't know much about soccer. You know, I played soccer as a kid, but I don't watch soccer. I don't sit around and read soccer books. But I coached soccer for about, I don't know, four years. 
you know, youth soccer. And I can tell you every kid on the team know how to, knew how to do a high five. And we knew how to, um, you know, say nice things. And, and literally, that's how I communicated. I said, say nice things to each other. You know, you guys know mean things and you know how to say nice things. Compliment each other, say nice things. Um, we sat around sometimes in a circle and would say uh, one compliment, you know, what do we like about our teammates? So developing that emotional intelligence and emotional regulation uh, and getting them to do those values um, that, again, don't have anything to do with the techniques and tactics of soccer, but they're going to help have, they're going to help the team function and they're going to help the kids feel good and want to come to practice uh, and, and want to come back. So for the youngsters, you know, that's a thumbs up, you know, that's great. So being excited, um, you know, making sure people are having a good time as they get older. So that's, that's one tip. That's one tip as they get older, you know, you know what, I'm going to do the strength coach card. And I'm going to say that if you can teach a kid basic push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, you know, go down to the park and do the different stations that they have. And older um, being about what age would you, would you recommend? I mean, the, the, you know, that kind of training makes, you know, heck, I mean, if, you know, like my son in gymnastics, they're doing that now. They've been doing that since they were, you know, six and a half, seven years old. But I would even, you know, with, uh, with my daughter, you know, with training with dumbbells, uh, a barbell, um, you know, some plyometrics and sprint work. I mean, there's plenty of track and field clubs that do that stuff at seven, eight, nine years old. I mean, kids are playing. And, um, and very rare, rarely are you going to have somebody say, yeah, you're just too strong. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's why I say the strength conditioning card is, is where I'll go because those skills are going to cross-cut everything that they're doing when they move. And so, you know, you don't have to be a basketball coach or a football coach or a volleyball coach, you know. You can be a physical performance coach and somebody that appreciates, you know, the, the, the physical body and how it can move in different ways and enhance those skills. You know, everybody can stretch, you know. <laughs> Um, I would tell folks too, right? You know, get on the NSCA's website, join as a as a affiliate member. You don't have to be certified. You don't have to pay a lot in dues, but you're going to get access to so many resources um, that just it's worth your investment to do something like that. Um, and then you get on social media, and if you ask somebody like myself or you or you know like a Rick Howard, you get on some of these groups and ask a question. I mean, people are going to go out of their way to help you. Yeah, the N the NSCA has a number of special interest groups, and many of them have Facebook pages. Which, if yeah. you use the search options in Facebook, and I know Brian's a member of a number of them, I am also. So it sounds like your 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 advice is have fun for the younger generation or younger. At the older, yeah. still make sure the kids are having fun, but also introduce some strength training of some sort. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that, I'm thinking too of, of, of girls, you know, and that's a lot of girls don't train. And I think that's why they have a high rate of injuries. It's uh, you can, you can get a great deal of strength without seeing hypertrophy or enlargement of the muscle. And I think that's something that a lot of young girls mm -hmm. could be told. Yeah. I mean, both, all, so all of our kids and, and my wife as well. I mean, she, she was a, she did an internship at the Olympic training center in San Diego. You know, so she's very fit and, uh, all of our kids can do push-ups and jumps and, you know, obviously from gymnastics, they can do handstands and other things, but the, they're not, these are not high risk elite level movements. These are uh, fundamental motor skills. If you want to use that term, 
Um, These are what so. kids probably 15 or 20 years ago did with just when they went out and played. Exactly. <laughs> or, you know, or, the, or in the late fifties, that's what physical education class was yeah. in the, in the high school and the yeah. junior high. We did. I remember in eighth grade, we, we had uh gymnastics day, you know, where we set up the stuff and did it, but you know, for whatever reason or well, not for whatever, but for a variety of reasons, things have changed. And, um, you know, moving your body and eating healthy foods is really not that complicated. There's a fun, basic fundamentals. And if you do that, most of the time, you're going to get pretty good results. And we're not, we're not talking about running the spread offense with a triple option. For those of you who don't have an athletic background, that's Brian bringing out his football background. We've been fortunate enough to talk with Dr. Brian Garrity. He is in charge of the sport coaching program at Denver University. Over the last few minutes, he's given us some valuable information that you can use if you've got a child who's active. Even though we talked for 25, 30 minutes, I think we can summarize and make sure the kids are having fun, teach them respect and good manners and get a little resistance training in for them. Brian, thanks for taking some time to talk with uh, Moving to Live this afternoon. Thank you, Ben. That was great. And I hope uh, if anybody needs anything, they can get a hold of me via email, social media, you know, and I hope it's worthwhile and I help somebody. And all those links will be in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play, and be notified about a new episode release. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, both at underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. We're a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving. Mm -hmm.